With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Media Network presents Ghost Tracks Race Talk. Well, hello, world, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Tracks Race Talk. We're mighty happy to be here in our Denver, Colorado studios tonight. And Bill Blair is in his High Point, North Carolina studio. Hello, and good evening, Mr. Blair. Well, I'm doing fine, but would you? How'd you get to Denver, Colorado? Uh, it was very easy. Just just a take my heels together and I'm right there. Now, that's one thing yeah. I want to talk about. You know, with this coronavirus going around, the the hacking and cutting into computers has grown exponentially till it's almost an epidemic now. People trying to get into computers. But a VPN, which is a virtual private network, which I, I got through our iCast.network site. I can broadcast from anywhere in the world. Right now I'm in Denver. I was going to broadcast for Sweden, but when I punched that up and pulled Skype up, all the writing was in Swedish. So I figured I'd better not play with that. But, you know, that's the VPN. I've got one. Out. I, I think a lot of people should, well, everybody should think about going into that. Just go to the homepage, iCast.network, and take a look at what's there and what you might want to do. And while we're on the iCast.network page, Bill, you know, you and I are very much into this NRA recruitment that sure. we are doing. So mention the NRA and what you think is going on. Well, I've been a member off and on for years. My son's been a lifetime member, and... Uh, they'll be at Mount Airy, North Carolina, at the Moonshine and Racers Reunion in September the 12th. And you can join up there, renew, whatever. But uh, that area of the country of North Carolina is, uh, you know, big in uh, hunting and fishing. And it's a beautiful place, but there are a lot of NRA members there, and we'll be up there representing NRA. And I think it's a wonderful organization, regardless of what the left says about it. And... Uh, yeah, you can get training. You can get a lot of assistance for uh, special training for defense, and and uh, I don't know that uh, they largely support the conservatives, but they're out there to help any group of people in the gun safety and 
for information, so I support them wholeheartedly. But uh, Mount Air's come along great, and, and uh, they've been making a lot of progress getting the word out, and they're already booking motel rooms up there. September the 12th, it's going to be a wonderful, beautiful day, and this parade out to the racetrack will still be led by the 47 Highway Patrol original Buick, 47 model Buick. And you know, last year when we had the parade, people stopping as we met them on Highway 89 going to the old racetrack and got out and um, were making pictures with the camcords and the, and the cameras and saluting us and clapping and just a wonderful day. And we look forward to it again this year. But uh, we'll have Lyle Larson on tonight. And Lyle, he um, is early engine builder, worked for Jack Tent, worked for me and some others, and then represent for a representative of Elbrock Corporation out in uh, California and had a pro stock car and did a lot of stuff in racing. He'll be interesting to listen to tonight. And I want to welcome some new listeners. Uh, Terry Anderson's not a new listener, but he said he'd be listening tonight. And Herbie Poole, he used to be a, a champion down at Caraway Speedway, still a fine fellow and a beautiful girlfriend. There's really nice people. Uh, Bruce Dillon, Russ Mann, uh, Bill Maynum, Clyde Maynum, just a whole bunch of people be listening tonight and welcome them to uh, to show tonight. Certainly. And now, Russ Mann yeah. is listening tonight. He sure is. He is, one, he is one heck of a photographer because I've seen... Oh, he really is. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the pictures he's put up on social media, and some of them, I mean, are old. We're talking about, I don't know how old, but old pictures, and they look so good, and it's so good to see... Back in the days when there was no coronavirus and the whole world was happy. Well, he's got a special program, Tim, that on his computer. He can take a picture and make it look old, and he can, uh, you know, make it stand out. Uh, and just he can do wonders with an old picture or a new picture. But he's got what's called Russ Man Images, I believe is the name of it. And he lives right over here in this neighborhood behind me, and he's a neighbor of mine. And, he likes early racing. He's just a good guy, him and the family, his wife named Pam. They're good people, and uh, welcome him again tonight. But um, we'll have an interesting show tonight, I know that. And uh, I guess you know NASCAR don't look to have any races until, what, uh, 9th up at Martinsville? 9th of May is what they're talking now. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, um, you know, with this fluid situation with the coronavirus, we don't know. From one to the other, you know, say President Trump said this evening in a press conference, they have this hydro, whatever, I can't pronounce it, drug that is was made in the 40s for malaria. And a doctor in France has tested it on 40 people that had the virus, and it cured all 40 of them. So Trump said, we're going to get that drug in manufacturing, you know, immediately, as quick as it could possibly be. Then we have the FDA big mouth come on and say, well, we haven't done clinical trials for the coronavirus with this drug, so we're going to have to do that. It might take 12 to 18 months. Somebody ought to put that son of a bitch in jail and throw away the key, get rid of him. We don't need well, any some, FDA. Yeah. There are some dumbasses up in Washington, you know. Oh, you think? <laughs> they prove it every day, just about, and... <laughs> Well, that'll be on Hannity tonight. Yeah, probably. But it's we just you know we got to do what we got to do. Sheila and I sort of hunker down, and we don't get out much unless it's necessary. We're trying to go along and help them with their programs of prevention, and we'll do our part best we can, and and hope and pray for the best of everybody, for our country especially, and yeah, 
and it, it's a trying time, but we're going to come through it. I feel sure we always have, and we've got a wonderful bunch of people in this country, especially the race and the race of community. You know, they're great people, and uh, they'll do more than their share. I feel sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're likening this to World War II, and in a lot of ways, I can see that as well. That we we've got to pull together as a nation. You know, we have to. And there are so many people that you know just watch the press ask the questions of the president. They don't. Oh, yeah. ca- they don't care what. They just want to get in. Hey, you're you're xenophobic because you're calling it the Chinese virus. Oh yeah. You know. Well, where the hell did it come from? Pardon me. CNN and MSNBC. We got a guy that always writes Enterprise here criticizing Trump, and uh, he listens no doubt to CNN and MSNBC. But you can tell how biased he is. And- I doubt he's got sense enough to check his old or put air in his tires. That's just the way they are. <laughs> I'm serious as a heart attack. I know you are. But, but, you know, there's another guy said, and I don't know who it was, but said on uh, TV the other night that the worst virus we got in this country is the left-leaning news media. That's true. virus that we have. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, it's... They are just unreal. But we're not here to talk politics. We're here to talk racing, and I'm glad we do... You know, we had a, a discussion on our Tuesday night show about the whole situation of two more months with no racing. But, you know, we can keep on, especially on Thursday night, because we've got so much history to fall back on and the guests that you get and the guests that will be rounding up in the future. And Alex comes up with guests that can go back and do do the history part of it. So we'll we'll feed... The Hungry Race fan, if they want to tune in to listen, and they're all around the world. Thank goodness. Well, just... along, those, uh, along those lines, Tim, I think I saw where on Channel 8, you know, Fox is going to be covering the race. But I think this weekend they said that they'd be covering uh, the race by showing the 1986 uh, uh, race at uh, Richmond, maybe I believe it was. Oh really? You know, I go, I, yeah, I yeah, I go back and watch. I got somebody gave me a tape of probably uh, hundred, two hundred races. It's three big boxes. My wife didn't want me to get rid of them for six months or more now because it takes up a lot of space down the shop. Yeah. But every once in a while, I'll get one out and plug it in, and watch it again, and I enjoy it. Especially those that I was at, you know, and remember a lot of it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that makes a difference. Having been at well, well, I had. Every race that was televised from 1985 to, I think it was like 2010 on VHS tapes. And I gave them all to a guy named Daniel over in Georgia. It took the entire back of my van and the entire back of his pickup truck to transport those things. But, you know, it was just like I, I had run out of room. I had nowhere else to keep them no place to keep them and he's got them he's he's enjoyed them he's watched some i don't know when last time he watched one but it was always my good wife, to get back my wife don't enjoy watching them so I, i've been giving some of them away but i've been giving them to uh, the museum over in mortal some and to bill ryan over ryan enterprises because some of the stuff that he's restored is on those tapes some of the cars you know no, he, they he don't. Look at. Yeah. Yeah. well how is phil combs and his little museum going I, I got to go over there. You know, we were scheduled to go there that week when I had my little accident, so I didn't yeah. get to go, but I am going to go over there. 
Yeah, I want to get over there bad because I wanted to, when we had him on the show, we talked about all the different things he's got in there, so many of which I want to see in person and be able to just talk. Phil's a great guy. You know that. Oh, he's probably listening tonight, by the way, and he's got a great museum. Uh, yeah, he, he does. the old stock car racing history, and he's got stuff over there that you wouldn't believe, I understand, and I've seen pictures of it, but i got to go there, and I'm going to take him a surprise to give him to put in his museum. And, and uh, But, I, you know, his daddy was one of the first flagmen, Roby Combs. Roby Combs, yeah. He was one of the best ever flagmen for NASCAR and any other race organization when he started out. And his wife, you know, always went with him. I know he flagged up at Tri-City, and this, he flagged everywhere, just about a lot of big races, you know. Mm-hmm. But Roby was a great man. He was a great, he was a really a nice gentleman, too. Yeah, I've, Combs also. I've only heard good things about Roby Combs and Phil, too. But, you know, I think I met Roby one time. He was flagging at, was it Tri-City or where, where up there near Asheboro? Somewhere. That'd be Caraway. Caraway, okay, yeah. Was flagging up there when I went up for a race, I mean, years ago. And I think I met him then. And I've met Phil, you know, as a several times, as you know, at this different things that we go to. Well, they were living up in Mount Airy, and I met a con was up there one day. I bought a, one of the carports, built a building down there. Vance Cones works for one of the carports up there. And I asked him, was he kin to Roby Cone? Oh, yeah, that's my cousin. That's where they're from. Then Robin and his wife moved over to about Shelby, Bowling Springs area, North Carolina. And I guess that's where her family's still at. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, though, the way my hair is these days, I don't need many combs, but I think I need Phil Combs at least till I see his museum. Yeah, we'll go there one day. We'll meet over there. <laughs> okay. She wants to go. Yeah. I go by where I used to live. You know, I lived in Shelby for about five years. I did not know that. Really? Sure did. I used to watch Dick Elliott and, uh, and uh, oh, you know, the guy from Oyana used to drive the 71 car. Been so long ago, I can't remember his name. Bobby Isaac? No, yeah, Bobby Isaac. I watched them when they started racing. Hmm. They run, they run uh, Shelby Fairgrounds, Harris, and uh, Cherokee Speedway, and Hickory. Hmm. All good drivers. Yeah. And Toy Bolton, Toy Bolton built Dick's cars. Boy, he was a car builder. He did a whole deal, motor and car and a whole deal. Toy yeah, Bolton. Great. I hadn't heard from him in years. I don't know if he's still around or not, but he was from Shelby. Lived right up there off of uh, Highway 74 bypass there in Shelby. Well, I went to Shelby when they had that race, what, five, six, seven, eight years ago? They had that mm-hmm. special old... Um, race up there. It's a good track. I mean, it's a good-looking track. Oh, it is. And it raced well that day, too, so I, oh, I'm did. sorry I never got to see a real, authentic NASCAR race there. Do you remember Charlie Blanton? Charlie grew yeah. up, up in that area, too, and just a lot of good drivers, and that's a big racing community. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Trying to think of that guy. He used to boat all the races over there. He was a great guy, too. And, and that's where Herb Thomas's career ended, really, right at Shelby that year that uh, Key Kafer rented the track so they could run another race or two and have a chance of winning the championship, steal it from. Uh, from Herb Thomas, which they wrecked Herb and went on to uh, see who Speedy won the race, I believe. But I'm not sure. But anyway, KK for won the championship that year by adding two races to the schedule. I remember sort that. Of dirty, sort of a dirty deal for for Herb Thomas. Really was. Yeah, sure was. You know, he tried to he tried to come back and he just couldn't do it. And that's when he got Fonny to drive the car down at Dalton. Fonny ended up getting involved with another car hook bumper and wrecked and and. Uh, Bobby Myers come down straightaway and didn't see him as you go and turn three and hit him head on, killed himself. Mm. Nineteen fifty seven. Yeah. But you better dial up our guest, ain't you? Yeah, let me I'm see if I let me see if I can find a dial pad here or get get something oh, yeah. going. You got lights now, so you can see, ain't you? Yeah, I got lights right now, but you know, in, in Denver over here, um, I don't know. Well, like, Denver's only it's only about four o'clock in Denver, ain't it? Yeah, it's only oh, four got, o'clock. I think you're saying Denver, Colorado, but you're talking about Denver, North Carolina. No, Denver, Colorado. Okay, okay. We got a Denver, North Carolina, too. You know. Yeah, I knew that. I, why do I know that? What, what's famous from there? Uh, the Denver Broncos. <laughs> I, I'm talking about Den- <laughs> Denver, North Carolina. <laughs> that might be where they started. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they moved those teams around a lot, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did. All right, I'm punching a little button, and let's see if we can get him on. Ah, shows it's ringing. Hello? Hello, may I speak with Lyle Larson, please? This is Lyle. Well, this is Tim Leeming and Bill, Bill Blair from iCast Media Network, and Bill is going to get you to tell us all about your drag racing history, which I saw on your social media is quite extensive. So I'm going to turn it over to Bill and you, and I'm going to sit here and listen. So thank you for being well, with thank us. Thank you very much. Oh, thank hey, you. Hey, Lyle. Hey, Lyle. hey Bill. How you doing, pal? I want to say this before we get the show rolling. I've known you a good many years, and you people, you work for and was around and your hobbies and stuff but before we get into that tell the audience out there all over the world all over this country about uh, you working at the polls and california voting polls and what they do to the republicans out there when they come in to vote <laughs> well it's funny when they got a permanent id uh these guys would come on in and they'd go yeah i'm republican and then you'd look down you'd list and they go oh no uh you're listed as a provisional and I go, how how that happen? No, I've been a Republican. I've been a Republican every year. And I said, did you get a permanent ID? And I go, yeah. Well, then you went through the Department of Motor Vehicles. Yeah. Well, if you didn't check that one thing down in the corner, uh, they put you in this uh, provisional. Well, in provisional, they only had provisional and Democrat. So they said, well, if you want to be, re- I'm a Republican. I've been a Republican all my life. Well, then you've got to fill out this form and, and change. <laughs> so the synopsis that we learned, I think, out here is uh, 
you know, and maybe it's an assumption, but it just popped up so many times that if you got a permanent ID, uh, your political affiliation is a question, or you fill out a thing there, or it's on a square and you didn't see it. So the DMV has so much power, you know? Well, California is the way they are, isn't it? Oh, Bill, it's, it's just, it's, it's not the California that uh, I came here in 1966, you know? Yeah, it's changed, hasn't it? It has, you know, Reagan here. Was, can you believe that Ronald Reagan was was the governor out there one time? It's hard to believe, ain't it? It certainly is. I always ask everybody when when you were a kid, did you ever did you ever have a key to your house? Never did. Never had Never a key. Nah. <laughs> Our world has changed, Bill. Yeah. Well, let's let's drop that now. I just wanted the people out there to know if something didn't change in this country, and we don't keep Trump in there, and we don't do something about the house, what we got to look forward to is you know Venezuela, California. Some of those countries, but anyway, Lyle, you, well, you and I, back. you and I had discussed, Bill. You know, we didn't talk politics in the seventies. We were just busy playing we cards. Racers, we? Yeah, we were racers. Yes, we were. Before you met up, before you met up with me, you had to get interested in racing somehow. Or another, and was it drag racing you started out in? Yeah, I was. I always tell everybody I pushed cars on a rug when I was a kid. Got model cars, sold those. Had a. Uh, paper route and uh, got my go-kart when I was 14 and sold it and had my first car at 16 and was at the drag strip in Lake Geneva Sports Center in 1961. First week I was 16 and the rest is history. Uh, I raced in Illinois and Florida and then as soon as I graduated from high school I came straight to Disneyland out here, California. Mm-hmm. But and, uh, uh, how long it was... Uh, I was there until I, I got drafted uh, Bill and was in the army, came back as sergeant, and then uh, I built a pro stock car, first professional car I'd ever had built by Ron Butler. And uh, just realized that uh, you're racing against the factory and ran out of money and talent. <laughs> you know, so many of us, Jerry Stahl, a lot of us built pro stocks, but you know, you had to be pretty much factory fed, and it was it was the class of the class back then. You know, pro stock was really cool. Did you ever race at Lions Drag Strip? Absolutely. I was at Lions Drag Strip uh, the second week that I got in California. And I raced a, uh, actually, my cousin lived here. So when I moved here, he introduced me the first week to J&D Automotive. They had record-holding NHRA cars. I bought one of those, and it was at Lions Drag Strip. And it was a 57 Chevy held NHRA record. Uh, nine passenger wagon built with Rochester fuel injection. Five eighty six gears. <laughs> did that there, didn't it? That yeah, I left at seven and shifted seven. Oh yeah, had a lot of fun, now, and then I got drafted. Who was, and, who was promoting? Go ahead. Lines at that time, who was the promoter at Lions Drag Strip? Well, Pappy Hart was. Mickey had had it before me, before I'd been there, but Pappy Hart was uh, who all of us knew, and. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think who actually was the head guy there because uh, it was just a way of life, Bill. It was like, you know, like you guys had Piedmont and places that are so, and it was just, uh, you know, we, I was there three, day, three days a week. And what I remember about Pappy Hart, we knew him back here. We called him, I believe his name was C.J. Hart. But he That's was exactly. the guy that 
brought he brought all of the pro stockers from back here to California and made it a absolutely out there, and they got Landy involved in it and uh, Case Ronda and. Uh, mm-hmm. And he had pitched them against the guys back here, Beswick and Sox and different one of them. They had a big, big crowds when they would show up. And I believe in that same place that Don Garlitz had the car cutting too when it Ab- Absolutely, yeah. Place. That was uh it was yeah, it uh the Lenko had flipped, you know, the dogs in it and when he hit it it just went sky high. And uh quite a story with that. You know, a guy in the stands got hit and uh 17 or 20 years later, maybe 30 years later, there's a story on it you can find it on the internet that Larry Sutton, uh, they were yelling at somebody who's hurt up in the stands, and he had this superpower and broke this gate up and went up there and held the guy from bleeding to death. Mm. Oh my gosh. And uh, the, for, it was 20 or 30, maybe longer years, that the guy never knew who did it. And they finally got re- reunited. But uh, yeah, quite a story. Lyle, I don't normally do this. But there's a man, there's a uh-huh. young guy on chat that says, "Hi, Lyle, I'm your biggest fan, and his name is Corey Evanson." Oh yeah, Corey Evanson. He Evanson. he got my pro stock car, and he's restoring it. Well, he just wanted to let you know he's listening. So, all right, I'll butt out. I'll be back <laughs> at back at seven. Oh no, anytime. That's fine. Network ID. Thank Tell him you. hi. All right, hi, Corey. You heard that. Well, that's great, Lyle. You got you got one fan out there anyway. You know, you got to yeah, gosh, Lyle, yeah. but uh, you know that's such an interesting background. Lines drag strip. That's uh, I don't know what we got here that compares to to line, but uh, uh, had, I just don't know. US thirty maybe or maybe up here to oh gosh that drag maybe strip Detroit, huh, or Milan or yeah. But lines just so famous. So many oh. great ones were there and. And the the who's who on the list, you know, of anybody's list of drag okay. racers raced at lines. And, yeah, and it was my it know, was my Disneyland. <laughs> you Did you ever get to meet Mickey Thompson? Uh, yes. I uh, actually stayed, a friend of mine, I stayed at his house and Mickey lived next door. And uh, what a genius. I think he was probably, uh, if you know, it's hard to find heroes. And we've had a few, Bill. But Mickey was the first to do the aluminum rocker arm. Didn't have a roller on, on the end. He had a shoe. Aluminum rods. He worked for Harvey Aluminum. And his son, Danny, is just a great guy. He's a, a, a friend. Uh, and uh, it was just heartwarming, you know, for him to uh, set the record at Bonneville that many years later. You know, Bill, that's the that's the thing. It's hard to realize how you can get four engines to start at the same time. <laughs> you know how he laid that out? Yeah, on a garage cement no. floor, he took a ruler and a piece of chalk and laid it out on the floor. He oh, my God. He'd take him a, yes, he was. Uh, a legal pad and, a, and an ink pen, and at night, if he woke up till 3 o'clock in the morning and had an idea, he'd get up and write it down and then go back to bed. And next morning, he'd get his pad and go to work. And the, you, know the, you may not the, know this, but I got I got the car that belonged to him at 1963 BFX Red Pontiac Catalina that he wore oh my the God. BFX uh, class at Pomona. That's another famous drag strip in California. But they uh, oh gosh, the yes. boy that uh, one that was driving that car. Um, gosh, I can't remember his name right now, but he was. Do you remember? Was, was it Cox? No, it wasn't Lord Cox. Was it Cox? Wife. No, it was the big guy. 
He had a 63 Chevrolet after Pontiac pulled out, a red 63 Pontiac. Oh, I should know that one. Yeah, you know him. When I call the name, you know who it is. Well, Mrs. Cox, you know, she still races. uh, She still has a son, and he races out here, and he's just a great guy. But Mickey was so versatile, and uh, he was part owner also, along with Smokey, and some diamond mines down in, what, South America, somewhere down that way. And then oh, that's right. That's in. right. He, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. And you know what else he did, Bill? This is amazing. When he couldn't make payroll, he went to Vegas with my friend oh, really? and made payroll by gambling. He had more guts than most most of us. Well, he had balls, big round truck tires, what I heard. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, well, and he, he'd be down there, had a few drinks in South America, to that diamond mine, a little close town down there. Smokey going to bed. Now Smokey's told this, and Mickey'd stay a little bit. Somebody come get Smokey. Say, hey, you better come get your buddy. They're fixing to kill him. But he, <laughs> yeah, it'd be about five, six, or eight. Confront Mickey, and he's going to whip all of them. Smokey has to go smooth. Oh, God, he's he... over and get him back into the room, you know. But I, you know, he was I, a man's I, man, wasn't he? Yeah. I got a red sixty-three yeah, right. People come show him that car. They can't believe it belonged to Mickey Thompson. Oh, I just, I look at your Pontiac and I just go, oh, it just brings back the, brings back the beautiful era of individuality and, and innovation. Yeah. And I did get to talk to him on the telephone a couple of times about the cars. I've had two Mickey Thompson cars, a white 61 that was originally red and gold and somebody painted white and I bought it, had it for years and then I bought this red car and it had belonged to him and he was kind enough to write me a letter and you know, confirming the car and the history of the car and sent me some information on it. And uh, hoping Danny sometime would look at one of those trailers and find out about taking the car to Bondville because it was set up to run the, the course out at Bondville, the circle, you know, they ran to set records, mm-hmm. uh, setting records for Pontiac or whatever they represented out there at that time. And it had a two-way radio on it, with a coax cable and everything, you know, and the antenna come out behind the rear window at the center back there. With the wow. Deck. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But anyway, I got all that stuff, and he just always was a hero of mine. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Billy. Yeah, it it is, and it took 18 years. Colleen got him put away. We all knew who did it. I mean, Mickey said the day night before he got killed, he said, I think this guy's going to kill me. We know it was Goodwin. But he was in Hawaii, and uh, two guys on bicycles uh, rode away, and uh, I'm sure there was a van down the street or whatever. They got away with it, you know. But it uh, it took her 18 years, and 
good ones put away. What is Parton do? Hire those guys to bump him off, him and his wife? Yeah, it was sad. Uh, he, what happened was, is that score internationals, there was a, a good one with a partner and uh, he caught him, uh, embezzling and, uh, they went to court and Mickey won and he said, I'll get you. People say that, but Mickey said this, you know, he had, like I say, the night before he'd said, or the day before he said, I think this guy's serious. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, shot them both. It was uh, sad. Excuse me, gentlemen. I have to do a network ID. It takes about 20 seconds. No problem. Now that we have your attention, thank you for listening to this portion of our show. We are the freedom voice of the Internet. Tell your friends and visit us at iCast.network. Now back to the podcast. Okay, back to you both. Bill, ask him about when he oh, worked okay. for Elderbrock. Yeah. Oh, it, 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 oh. okay. Yeah. Elder- well, when I got out of the Army, Bill, I worked there. I just, I got, just got out of the Army in 71, I mean 70, uh, right near the end of the year. And I applied for a job at Balancing and got the job. And uh, what a beautiful job it was. Vic Sr. had had it all set up just so efficient, Bill. Everything was right there. He had all the card and tags and learned to install Mallory metal and thought I'd probably be balancing crankshafts the rest of my life. And Vic was bigger than life. What a, you know, Vic Jr. was just such a dynamic man. And uh, anyhow, I was building that pro stock and I got a, all Wally Booth and Jenkins and all those guys would come by and use our dyno for the winter nationals. And they were all running general kinetics camshafts. So I was at the SEMA show. I ran into those guys and told them what I wanted. And they asked me how I knew. And I told them because of Jenkins and Booth, they told me which camshafts to get. And they asked me what I was doing. I told them, they asked me if I wanted to come to work there and came back and told Vic, I had an offer. And Vic said, uh, he gave me his blessings, you know, and then Murray Jensen, you're my, probably our best friends we ever had. He's the nicest man we ever met. He uh, told me, I said, well, I'm going to go to work for General Kinetics. And he said, I said, I'd like to bring some cams here and, and test them. He said, I'll put those boxes all over here for you, Lyle. So the rest was history between Murray Jensen and, and Vic and General Kinetics camshafts. And we had, I wanted to learn from the best, Bill. And GK absolutely was the best back then. Well, those cams that General Kinetics had, I'm going to bet you had a 332B, didn't you? <laughs> yep. 332B was a flat tappet, and 321, 329 was the roller that killed everybody. Well, I'll tell you what, that 332B was an excellent can. We ran it. That's why I knew you probably had that, because it was a good can. <laughs> okay. You could tell that cam in an engine, couldn't you, Bill? Oh, yeah. It had to be turned about 2,000 <laughs> off the end, so you had that womp, 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 womp. Then you hear them hit the wow. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. why I used those truck stock motors we built. And then... Uh, you worked there a while, but you ended up down here in North Carolina, uh, Littleton, North Carolina, with Jack Tan. Yes. Well, here's here's what happened. I came in there selling camshafts, and what I'd do is, after Jenkins would win uh, the Gators or whatever he'd win at, then I'd go to the biggest warehouse in the area and ask him if they had GK cams, and eventually I'd find some guy there that was a racer and tell his boss to buy my camshafts. That's how I met Mike Kennedy and, and uh, Howard Stewart. Well... What happened is GK, beautiful camshafts, but Don, two of us, very nice guy, he just 
businessman wasn't that his expertise. So while I was there, I got an offer to job by McLaren and it was a NASCAR program. And, but our stuff bill was not, you know, we were to build, build engines, send them to guys like you, you guys would run them and call, call back and tell us what was wrong with them or send them back. They were trying to do that better block because remember everybody was using that zero 10. So the wedding was changed and some stuff like that. And then uh, Kenzie came in and bought the program. And Bill Hall, probably the smartest engineer, common sense engineer you, uh, you and I have ever met, I had a problem with an engine on the dyno. He said, the call jack tent. And it was, uh, I had to put restricted lifters in, and it was already uh, restricted. So it was starting to oil the push rods or uh, blew the push rods on the front of the motor. And, uh, so I called Jack Tent and he said, well, you're in a heap of trouble, boy. <laughs> you know, he said, uh, you're going to pull the lifters out and pull the cam out. And he said, I'm behind the front cam bearing, drill it up there into the oil galley. He said he always oiled them both directions. What a smart man. So when the McLaren deal ended, I called Jack and came down there and went to work for him. And, uh, I think that, uh, that was the, such a common sense. I mean, everybody built engines, but from the bell housing back, you guys in the South, you knew what you were doing. We talk engines, we didn't know anything from the bell housing back. It took me sometimes three hours to dial in, in uh, dial indicate a bell housing. You know, Jack, it, well, you guys were running two and a half hours, 200 miles an hour with those old big blocks. And uh, most of the California engine guys, they, they just talked about engines. They didn't really understand back there. So, Jack and I uh, hit it off real well. And then uh, Bill Howell had done a carburetor where he cut the floats at an angle. And Jack hadn't seen that. And I shared that with Jack. And uh, so we we just hit some things really, really cool together. He just, uh, I just, uh, he was, I think he was probably the most hidden name in the South, you know. Well, he was. But uh, his, the results that his product got and uh, with uh, Ray Hendricks and then, when they'd go up north, the people up north around New Jersey and New England states, they'd want one of those motors like Ray Hendricks had in that flying lemon car. So Jack uh, sold one, one of those engines, as I understand, and he won races with it. The next thing you know, they lined up at his door wanting to buy a Jack Tant motor. And all, you know, <laughs> he didn't have many engine problems. I mean, he was, like I said, he was no nonsense, very talented, and he thought things through. And just a very common sense kind of guy. Smart, very smart. Oh gosh, yes. And well, then, and then, uh, what happened is, is uh, that's when I found you. Mike Kennedy and, and uh, Howard Stewart were talking about you, and I wanted to, you know, that Littleton was there. There was not. It was a very small town. So uh, <clears throat> I moved to uh, High Point. I met you. We put together a deal, and uh, again, you know, I heard something from one of my buddies, Robert. Remember, he used to work at Hot Rod Barn. He said, the dumbest guy in the world knows something you don't know. And that's a very good statement because I still learn today, and I'm sure you do, Bill. You know, we I think that's the thing that uh, that keeps us going. To work for a paycheck, uh, I, I learned a long time ago, I, I wouldn't never work just for a paycheck. I had to learn something, too. And uh, what was amazing when we came to your place was the innovation of the tools. I mean, we were honing blocks and the stuff that you made there. I mean, you not only made engines, you made you set up the shop. 
you know? Yeah. And uh, I just, uh, it was, it was, it was cool. I mean, we had a good time. And I, how about Carter? Whatever happened with him? He's still around. He's still, he's retired, of course, but he still helps in building engines for various people. But he grew up okay. right there working for me. Oh, yeah. I got him out of Ashburg. He was down there working in a little auto shop doing tune-ups and brakes, and I brought him up to High Point. And Mike Kennedy, you know, Mike was about the same thing. He was doing brake line tune-ups and stuff, and I got him. And he'll tell you today that he spent about two years with me, and I guess I would say he learned a little bit because he, he you know, did a lot of stuff after he left, and I got him a pro stock car eventually. Him and Gary Dehart did very well with it. And Mike finally got a yeah. deal with, uh, with uh, was it Pontiac? He got a deal with and the Bill Motors, qualifying motors for the Teddies. And he's retired. You know, it's funny, Bill. It was, it was, it was uh, you know, that's the thing is uh, I was going to bring up, you know, when I left to come back to California, that's when Digard had first moved in. You know, the big money wasn't there when you and I were doing it, really, you know? No. And I remember... Um, uh, Richard would come on in and didn't have much money and you'd help him out, you know, with sure, your children. Sure did. And you told me later that, uh, he introduced you as here's the guy that helped me when I didn't have it. I didn't have much money. And I thought, man, yeah. he's yeah, my hero. You know, Hagen, yeah. he sure did. He had a driver named Skip Manning from Bogalusa, Louisiana. It was a car salesman, but he told Hagen, his race car driver. This dude was all over the track, and he'd come in. He'd ask him, well, what's wrong with the car? Oh, nothing. I'd just pass an imaginary drivers. <laughs> I never forget that. <laughs> that's, I'm not that was a, and that, oh, that was a funny day. I was just, yeah, I, that motor. was a Sunday. I was get, Yeah, I was just getting in my car to go for a drive, and I hear on the radio, and Skip Manning, Chip Manning's living the, winning the, is leading the Talladega, and I'm thinking, Hell, that's the engine we just did. And remember, Petty was going to go to Chevrolet, and he's up at Diamond, and someone up there told him, you better get back on the high point and see Blair. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, he was leading the race. Just three or four laps to go. Wasn't just a handful. Oh. And he was a good straightaway in front of the Dygard car. I think, or Hoss Elton's car, I believe, uh, Donnie. Stratograph. Stratograph, wasn't it? Well, no, the Skip was driving the Stratograph, but I'm talking about the second place car, I believe, was that Dygard car that Donnie was driving. Oh, Hoss Ellison's car. And then Junior was about third or something like that. I don't know for sure, but all of a sudden, uh, just a few laps to go, they had the people. Mary Jensen even was there at the pits. They all, you know, had congregated to our pit stall, knowing it was knowing it was going to win the race. Well, all of a sudden, pit sh- uh, in the pits, Skip shows up and stops. What y'all want? Darrell said, what the hell are you doing in here? Well, you called me in, did you? <laughs> no, get the hell out of here. And he oh, went from God. first place to third place. He finished third. Cost him the damn race. And God. he said that the reason he done that, his radio was bleeding in. Somebody's radio bled in. They said, they said pit now. And he thought it was Darrell. And of course, Darrell wow. was the crew chief, Darrell Bryant. And Darrell said, hey, yes, I remember him. Me. Yeah, Darrell said, hell no, it wasn't me, you dumb ass. <laughs> that was the beginning of the end for him. Maybe he just needed oh, a break, God. you know. But that's what yeah. happened. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny. We we milled the top of the pistons at your place. I mean, we did everything, you know. 
We got them where we wanted, didn't we, Bill? Yeah, I mean, you wasn't regulated back Now, then. the other one was, you know, that R258 crane cam. We'd yep. put that in ahead. Okay. Yep. Remember that yep. on a short track? Because yep. yep. I was what I was doing in California before I came out, I was working with these Econo dragsters, and we didn't have much uh, torque converter. So you and I sat down. You got that R58. Steve Edens, I think, was the one that recommended it. Yep. We put it in a head on a short track and got like 260-pound cylinder pressure, and that thing came off the turns like a rocket. Remember that? Oh, like a ripe ape. Sure did. Oh, good. God, yeah. In fact, Clyde Vickers was an insurance salesman, and Howard's car was hauling. And Howard said to me, he says, hey, uh, would you go over there and, and uh, degree Clyde's camshaft? He said, you know, he's a really good guy. I said, well, what's he got? And he said, well, he's got the same cam I do. So I bumped into him nine, nine degrees, and Clyde to this day said, if, he, uh, if I hadn't seen you bump that cam ahead, I'd have swore you changed camshafts. Yeah, made a difference. So well, he went on to have a hell of a business, didn't he? Yeah, he did. CV Products. Over here in Hypo, North Carolina, he sold yeah. it to somebody, and I don't know what's happened today. But um, I huh. do remember running that thing on the dyno, and at about 2500 RPM, there'd be a mist of fuel. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Vapor over the top of the engine over the carburetor. We had a big flat plate up there blowing huh? air from the ceiling down on it. Cool air. And it'd just be like fog in the air. And at a certain RPM, it would disappear right back into the engine. And all of a sudden, it's like you flipped the switch. It'd disappear and clear right up. And the sound on that motor would change. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, on a short track, uh, you know, here's one of the things I've been doing a lot with, Bill, is um, dynamic cylinder pressure. You don't want to replay them with different cars. Yeah. Where you add the camshaft up. And the formulas are on the internet today where you take the intake, you know, uh, cam events and everything else and come up with a dynamic cylinder pressure because I think you and I have seen where we had high compression with a big cam, uh, small compression with a short cam. And, at a, and those circle track guys, uh, they can run the same if they depend on their driving, you know? Yep. Are you talking about drivers? Uh, <laughs> we found out early on that. You can have a hell of a killer motor, but you had to have a driver. And I've had a few good ones <laughs> in my time, and I've had some that couldn't drive a nail in a watermelon. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I had one one time. We were building motors for Cliff Stewart and Howard, the hot rod barn car, and uh, they got Morgan Shepard to drive it. They had a falling out with Jay, and, and Jay sort of got took on that deal. But uh, Yeah, Jay, Jay Van Hedgecock, yeah. Yeah, he sure did. I mean, they did Jay wrong. Jay's a wonderful guy, a real smart guy, too, but he was learning back. Oh, a nice young man. He was just a, yeah, a teenager at the time, I think. He'd, he stayed out at 3 or 4 o'clock yep. in the morning working on a race car, and they wanted him there back at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, you know, oh, no. There's something wrong with that program, ain't it? But, uh, oh, and anyway, that Mor- uh, the Morgan thing didn't work out. Well, Morgan, no, it didn't. Uh, he he won some, he finished second in the points, late model. Um, Mm-hmm. that year and Jack Ingram won it 
Jack was very smart. Jack knew how to conserve tires. Morgan did too, but he's not quite as good as uh, Jack Ingram was. Oh, that's anyway, right. I forgot about Jack. I got to have more power off the corner. I got to have more power off the corner. He had a camshaft. He wanted me to put in the motor. Okay, I finally, I never, I put, you know, I never did do it because I knew that damn cam wasn't as good as what we had from Reed. And uh, sure, just uh, did a profile of it. So one day I told him, I said, "Well, we'll put that cam in this engine that you're picking up." So he kept the car, he moved the car up to where he lived, north of Reesville or somewhere. And uh, so he took the motor, and he went, and he happened to win the race that weekend. He come back and said, oh, that son of a gun comes off the corner. You won't believe how much better cam that is. But what it did was we never put that cam in there. It was the same cam he'd been running all along. He just had his mind that that was his cam that was doing, you know, that he was racing and coming off the corner so much better. Yeah, same always oh, God. I never did tell him what happened, but play Well you remember that car that you remember that car they bought in Canada from stock car products that Howard bought? And then they banned it. The one where we you and I put the Ford fuel pump on the front of it? Well yeah. Remember they had the castings? Okay. Remember it was so low the transmission was sideways? Yeah, they had to well, Howard yeah, sold they, that car. They, they banned it. Well Jay put, yeah, Jay put that car together. And of course, Howard and him okay. figured out what they was going to do with it, and they built it in a mud hut. And his daddy, Wes, had put it up, and there wasn't no room in there. And that's Jay just started out with a, a little uh, midget car, but he ended up building that car. We called it the Hot Rod Bond car. That's one Morgan finished second. Yes, yeah. And and you and I did the motor because we put that eccentric on the front of the cam. But the yep. but remember that front timing cover was from Stock Car Products? He ran the Ford well, fuel pump in front of the Chevrolet. Yeah, uh, well, Howard sold that car to a dirt dauber. And that one had that camshaft bumped ahead where it had like 260-pound cylinder pressure. Yeah. And the dirt oh, dauber, he paid tw- he paid 22000 for it and hauled it away with some old-looking catering truck. And two weeks later, he showed up, Bill, at Howard's, and I'll never forget. Howard says, hey, come in here. I said, what's that? Because... Tell Lyle what happened. He said, I spun out three times and I finished third. And I said, really? He said, driving that car is like stepping on a football. <laughs> that camshaft would blow the tires off. So we ended up putting a, you know, a wide load center camshaft and changing some things. But yeah. I never forgot well, that. It, it would run, but uh, that was one weird car. NASCAR said it wasn't exactly illegal, but y'all won't be able to run it next year. So when they <laughs> okay. come out with rule book next year, they specifically barred that car from showing back up. It was a little bit oh, ahead God. of the time, but it was one neat car. Oh gosh, I remember the tire was higher than the carburetor. Yeah, the uh, the car sold a lot of motors for us because everywhere he went, he yeah. sat on the pole. If he didn't win it, he burned the tires off it coming off the corner. <laughs> He'd do that. It's strong. You know that's the part, Bill. That you know when I left and Diegard had just came in. The big money came in, but, you know, the days that we did it, you and I, there was innovation. If we were going to run 12.2, uh, I don't know, think about it. And you'd go, what about this cam? We'd, I remember one time we were getting ready to go to dinner, and the women are waiting for us, and we got all the camshaft tags laid out in the bedroom on the bed, figuring compression with what cam. <laughs> yep. That's what we did. What are you doing today? That's the part. I know you went back to California, and you went back with Elbrock, didn't you? Yes, I, here's the thing. When I worked at General Kinetics, we had a thing called an Optron, and, and it was in the liquor store at the corner. And what it was, Bill, is it's a non-contacting displacement follower. 
So if I put a black and white dot on the wall and you hit the wall, I can tell you how much it moved, the rate that it moved, and the rate of the rate that it moved. And that's why GK had the camshafts. Don was one hell of an engineer. His Ford actually, his father designed the disc brakes at Ford Motor Company. So uh, it had a light spring on it. So we'd run it up to where it valve floated, and then they'd calculate what the camshaft did. So when I came back to California, McFarland, Jim McFarland, just one of the greatest bosses I ever had in my life, he asked me what I'd been doing since I balanced, and there was quite a bit of things that I'd done. So he said, uh, what would you do if you were going to have the camshaft program? I said, I'd do a real Optron. I mean, I'd do a real spin fixture with an Optron. And he said, uh, how much is an Optron? I go, here's the problem. It's $33,000. He goes, he said, no, no, hang on, hang on. He said, okay, I'll talk to Vic. So I took an old go-powered chassis dyno and the maintenance man and myself put together a spin fixture that was just, it was really cool, Bill. And then the Optron, I incorporated that with a 20-horse variable speed electric engine. And then I cut off the front of the top of the valve cover and put a white piece of aluminum, painted it white, behind the retainer where the rocker arm is and painted the retainer black. I had no crankshaft in it. I used a Summers Brothers dummy distributor with a Jones Motorola tack, a Jessel front belt drive to run it, and then I drilled the mains out to get all pressure that you and I would recognize. And all of a sudden, Bill, geez, my, it was a world of, it was the dream world that you and I would just dream of. Someone else had spent that, you know, he spent that kind of money plus my wages. Well, I'd run everything on up and I could see where valve float was on the oscilloscope. And sometimes it only had to float the valve one time and it would zap that spring and then it would be in valve float more often. But one of them that was really crazy, Bill, is I'm running a NASCAR motor uh, camshaft up. I run it up to 72 with my my rheostat. It won't go to 73, 74, 75, 76. It goes all the way to 78. I'm like, geez, I try to bring it back down. It won't run at 77, 76. It won't run in that area. I cannot take that rheostat and run it in there. So... We shut off all the lights and just took a strobe light. And the spring never stops working. And sometimes that center spring when it's going wong, wong, it happens to be going wong, the wrong direction, right where a guy wants to run it. And that that's why sometimes you and I would, some guys would run a valve spring and never have no problems. Another guy would run a valve spring and say it was junk. And the problem is, is the engine makes enough horsepower that it can run it in that not sweet spot and hurt the valve train parts. With my electric motor, didn't have enough horsepower to run it through there. So that was a real eye-opening thing, you know, and that's why today I'm sure these guys have spintrons. But yeah, that was... And you told me that uh, you did they sell Elbrock and moved it back to North Carolina. What's going on? Yeah, they took... Uh, they sold the property off of Crenshaw where the museum was and shipping was and all of those buildings. I guess they got like I heard about 18 million. That's what I heard. And then they bought property in North Carolina back where the carburetor uh, place is in North Carolina. I don't know what town that is, but, you know, Magnoli Morelli was building all those uh, uh, Edelbrock carburetors. But they got so big that they sold the tooling back to Edelbrock, and then Edelbrock uh, got a building there somewhere. And uh, right now, the foundry uh, sends manifolds to. Uh, Torrance, they're machined in Torrance, and then they're loaded up on trucks, and they're taken to Meridian, Mississippi, which is part of TCI and Comp Cams, which are all owned by an investment company. But it pretty much is uh, the writings on the wall that by the end of the year, if they got 
$18 million for those buildings. They'll get about 25 or 30 for the other buildings. And then, you know, probably I didn't think they bought property back there to watch weeds grow. I'm sure they're going to change the manufacturing back to there. Well, you hasn't know? investment groups bought a lot of racing uh, stuff out of California and moved it around the country? Absolutely, Bill. It's just, was oh, it, it's not fair. It's not, they don't want businesses here. Didn't they buy Jericho you know? transmissions and some transmission companies? And I know Wally yeah. Wilson's working for one that sold out to one of those companies. And he's under new management. Remember Crow? Crow Safety Equipment? Yeah. Remember Crow? Yeah. He told me he's been a friend of mine forever. One of my shop was in Gasoline Alley in Torrance that Bill Simpson owned it. Well, Fred Crow ran that whole deal. And just a great guy. Well, anyhow, he told me he went from $38,000 in workman's comp to 11000 moving it to Nevada. What about uh, the... Escadurin? Did you ever mess with Escadurin? Ed Escadurin? Oh, yeah, I see him every Wednesday. Uh, I go to some guy. fabulous burgers. Oh, my gosh. 95, 95 years old, something like that? 97 or 98, Bill. And I'll tell you what, he's got the memory. He's talked to about he, twice a year. He, he, he he's something else, isn't he? Old, old Lord, yeah, sharp oh, and you know he's as hungry time. for knowledge? Huh? Well, they had a seminar. Same show did. And about Kenny uh-huh. Chase, and he was in the audience. And they got to talking, and he'd stand up and tell them about Kenny But, I mean, he's a very, <laughs> very smart guy. Very smart. Yeah. And, you know, now, you see this Johnson. Go ahead. Well, I was going to tell you, you mentioned uh, uh, Vic one time. He knew when to show up at this fellow's house because of the, tell that story. But that's when it's going Oh, to gosh. Well, the manifolds were made by Harvey. Harvey Hartman was the pattern maker for Mickey Thompson and for, you know, almost everybody. And Vic would show up at noon at Harvey Hartman's place. Uh, and uh, I said, why, why? He said, why'd your dad show up there at noon? He says, because his wife made the best apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up, Edelbrock, we bought that company, uh, Harvey Hartman's, and both of the boys came to work there along with Harvey. Uh, Harvey's gone, and one of the boys are gone, one of them's still alive. But the stories of that was uh, uh, when the cross ram manifold was made by Mickey, uh, Vic Edelbrock said, I want you to make me one. He said, nope, I won't make it the same. It's got to be different. Harvey was just a very quality person. Gentlemen, we kind have... Kind brought back a good memory there. We have five minutes left before I have to go to the next segment. I am enjoying this okay. so much. Lyle, you are amazing. All right, back to you both. Well, I, well I'll tell you, we've just, you know, it's been a blast. Car-wise, Bill, I think the biggest thing, I, the thing I love the most is driving the alcohol cars. You know, six seconds at 220. Mm-hmm. But... You know, nowadays, if we were to go racing again, I think you and I would have a blast on someone else's money with that new factory hot rods, huh? That's the way to do it, isn't it? It sure is. We didn't do, you know, we didn't know no better. We just pulled boys, <laughs> enjoyed what we were doing. Yeah, but, yeah. Like an old man told me one time, we might not have won, but they knew we were there. That's right. But you know, compare, if you will, just your opinion, the difference between drag racing and round track racing. Uh, I love drag racing, but drag racers are, tend to be know-it-alls about engines. Circle track guys are smart enough to have their engines built by an engine builder, drive the car, and work on suspension. Um, 
as a racer, I mean, I love the, the, the man against speed and drag racing, but the characters I met through the South, including Tim Plock and the, some of the people that just, I mean, most beautiful people, the South and circle track are complete. Uh, they're just, it's just a beautiful story from the moonshine days with Jack tent talking his history and the respect for him to show up and see me when I was in Charlotte. Like I told you, you can't buy that. You sure can't. You know, if I had a hero in drag racing, it'd be Don Garlitz. Mm-hmm. Well, my hero would be Donnie Beswick, I guess, in drag racing. And oh, of course, God, in round yes. track racing, it had to be my dad because my dad and Jim Pascal, oh, they like, you know, Jim was like father to me too. But uh, young kids today, Lyle, never experienced what we did. No, no, you know, they, they, uh, it's the working that, uh, that we were proud to work. You know, if I had to make a political statement and some people are probably going to shock, they should bring back the draft and get those gang punks right off the street. They got that kind of energy, <laughs> put them out there. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty you good. <laughs> well, not everybody has to go to war. They can, they need cooks and they need people to do laundry. <laughs> you got it. Well, all you need to put together a book one day and, and let's tell the story about your life. People you met. Well, you too, Bill, because, uh, oh gosh, you know, we gotta, uh, you know, we gotta get together. There's no doubt about it. And I thank you very much, both, both you guys so much for this. Uh, this is really cool. Well, I ain't coming to California for no reason. Well, don't blame you. I'll come there. <laughs> you come to North Carolina if you want to. California. I probably is will. Last place I won't ever come to. But oh, we got one young man there. I'd like you to. There, there's a young man there called, and it's CNC. Uh, it's called uh, CNC. Uh, he does CNC machines. He builds the clutches for the top fuelers, uh, Bill, and they're twenty three thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, one of my best friends. It's his son, and uh, it's uh, CNC Pro. I think it is. Uh, his name is Chris Nachman. And uh, if you guys, if you know anybody who needs any stuff, that kid is just, Billy's just one of the best. I mean, he's something else. Special stuff. He worked for Herbert for a while. Yeah. Yeah, Herbert moved. What, wasn't he a California guy and moved to Carolina? Yeah, yeah. You talking about Doug Herbert? Guy yeah. signed his license. Yep. Well, gentlemen, we're down to a minute to go, but Lyle, I have to tell you, that I'm already getting requests to have you on the show again. So if, if you only if, with Bill, <laughs> if you and Bill can work it out to come back again sometime in maybe five or six weeks, I would love that. What about you, Bill? We'll do it. We'll do it. Lyle, we sure will. I, Abs- I absolutely. Lyle and Lyle's a special kind of guy, folks. And just a nice guy. And loves stock car racing. He's what I call a gearhead. They don't have them anymore, <laughs> but he was a gearhead. <laughs> and you're a good one too, Lyle, because I have really enjoyed it. I have laughed. A good thing I can mute my mic or you would have heard nothing but laughter at points in this show. <laughs> you ain't heard nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, oh, when we God, bring, yeah. you, bring you back the next time, we'll just laugh all the way through it because look- it has been wonderful. And I thank you so much for giving us time for our oh. Ghost Rats Race Talk. Hey, Lyle, thank you thank for you putting me together with an old buddy. Good deal. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Lyle. Yes, we do. I'll be talking to you in a day or two. Thank you kindly. Yep. Thank you, All right. Lyle. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Good night. And Bill, thank you for putting okay. that all together. Every time I think 
it can't get better. You surprise me and bring a better one. I mean, they're all great, you know, but to get. Oh, I got some good ones for you. I'm fired a couple hundred miles an hour. <laughs> oh, come on now. I don't know if I want to hear that one or not. <laughs> well, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. All right, guys, I'm going to cut you off. I have to go to stage two, as they say in racing these days. Get our next Good night, everybody. Thank you both and good night. All right. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye, Bill. Bye-bye. Okay, folks, there you have it. I, I get so infatuated with the people that we get on here and then the interviews that they give. And I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's something about having this, I can't call it a job, but it's just something about having this little uh, hobby, I might say, to be doing here is just fantastic and I love it. All right, we have Alex Nickerson on the line with us now. How are you tonight, Alex? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Tell us about your guest. Well, AJ Alsup comes from more of a road racing background. He ran basically all the divisions of the old AutoZone Elite Division, and he actually won one of the Southwest Series events on the streets of Los Angeles in Mm. 2000. And... Most of our guests will be more familiar with his father, Bill Alsup, who ran IndyCars in the 70s and 80s. Oh, okay. Well, I'm getting ready to hit the button. When he answers, you take over. Okay. All right, here goes, and it, ought to be, it is ringing right now. I'll be here, but my mic will be muted. Okay. Hey, this is AJ. Sorry I missed your call. Leave me a message. Time to give you a call back. Thanks a lot. Sweet. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. All right, Alex. I'm, I'm going to have to hang up, and when I do, that's going to hang up on you, too, so I'll call you right back. Okay. Okay, you there? I am here. All right. I assume he is expecting our call, right? Yeah. We. I just talked about it with him after lunch. So this came together really last minute. Yeah. All right. Here we go again. Hey, this is AJ. Sorry I missed your call. Leave me a message. Time to give you a call back. Thanks a lot. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Okay, Alex, I don't know exactly. Do you want to try calling him from your phone and tell him we're trying to reach him? Sure. Because he may not recognize this number, and that may be the problem. Anyway, I'll hang up on you. And I'll check back with you. Just text me when you get him and let me know, and we'll put you back on. Okay. All 
All right, folks, that gives us a minute or two that we can talk about the ICAST.network. You need to check out that page, ICAST.network. You'll find an awful lot of useful information there as well as a discount to become a member of the NRA, which these days and times is very important. Just ask the people in the state of Virginia about that. And also, as we talked earlier about the VPN and all the problems that we are having with hackers and and malware and ransomware and everything else that's going on, I've got a VPN. As I said, we're broadcasting actually from Denver, Colorado tonight, even though I'm still sitting in my Columbia, South Carolina studio. But do be aware, you may want to check in to getting yourself a VPN and you can get a discount, I think, a discount through ICAST.Racing to get your own VPN. And then literally, you can pick the cities in the United States, Canada, or anywhere in the world you want to broadcast from or you want to be online from. And people will not be able to trace you, to find you, or whatever that they're doing. So, you know, it's, it's strange times that we're living in. It's it's crazy times that we're living in. Hello, Alex. Hello. He said try calling him again. All right. Let me try again. I'm getting so used to punching buttons, I'll be able to do this blindfolded by now. He knows the call comes in from an 803 area code, right? Even though... I always forget to tell them that. Well, I'm actually broadcasting from my Denver, Colorado studio tonight. <laughs> I somehow don't believe that fact, but... Well, that's true. Check it out. Check out my source. All right, here it goes. It will be ringing. Right now it is ringing. Hey there. Good evening, AJ. Yes, sir. Welcome to Ghost Tracks and Legends. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing really great. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's our pleasure to be able to bring you on here because there's a lot of territory to cover because you had an entire racing career and it goes back way before that because your father had an entire racing career as well. That's uh, that's a fact, although his was definitely a lot longer and uh, more successful than mine, but um, we got to do we got to do a lot of cool stuff. And yeah, it started back um, really back in the 70s with my dad, Bill, um, made the transition from motocross bikes into open wheel stuff, did some uh, Formula Ford driving and, and really excelled at it and won the championship. And then that kind of launched a short but pretty cool career in, in open wheel cars that, you know, you definitely can't replicate in this era. <laughs> that is very true. I mean, I mean, especially there, the cars have just changed so much over the years. Yeah, it's um, it was a different it was a different time, you know, and the, the amount of money that it took to get in, and, and the amount of courage it took to drive them, and all that stuff was was kind of in the favor of guys like my dad, and that it was cheap and kind of scary, so it, it automatically weeded out. Um, a certain you know population of drivers but he uh he had some really some really good success in the early days he got um 
into a super V that was really dominant and he won the national championship, um, in the, in the U S with SCCA and with USAC and then went on to buy an Indy car and, uh, in a trailer or pardon me, in a truck with a spare engine. And I think the whole package for the Indy car team was like $50,000 or something in 1979 and took it to Indianapolis. Um, as a rookie there and this cart's first rookie of the year with that setup. What, how did your father get into racing? Because he was, he did get a late start compared to most of his contemporaries. He did. Um, so he was, my father actually by, by trade was a ski lift builder. Um, he met a guy in college and they went off to France and, and studied this guy's family business building ski lifts. And he brought that, industry back to the eastern united states and it was in the 60s when a lot of ski resorts on the east coast were getting built so my dad was actually a california guy um, but he moved to vermont in the 60s to build ski lifts and uh while he was building ski lifts he had always ridden motorcycles as a kid in california and he started racing motocross bikes in the in the northeast when he was up here you know working on when he wasn't at work was racing dirt bikes and also had a, a motorcycle dealership for a while and sold Kawasaki stuff. And then he sold both tacos and was actually involved with the, um, early European riders coming over to race in the U S there was a organization and a group of guys out of like mass. And my dad was friends with all them. Uh, and they basically organized and, and orchestrated some European riders coming over which really actually revolutionized the motocross scene. Um, so his, his background in racing came from just a construction dude riding some dirt bikes. And, uh, you know, he ran a lot of races and he won a lot of races right off the bat. And his friend said to him, uh, Hey, you should try out race cars. And that was kind of what nudged him into it. Wow. Yeah. He just, he, t- he took a big leap though, going from, you know, the, Starting with going from the two wheels to the four wheels, that's always a, a jump of its own kind. You know, I think coming from that same background myself, you know, we so we grew up in Vermont, my brother Nipper and I, um, and we raced motocross bikes as kids. Our dad started us in their bikes. I think he saw the value in it. And what I, I know now after years of driving all sorts of different stuff in different conditions, that the one really great thing about starting from a motocross background is you never um, expect the same conditions lap after lap in a motocross race. You're always looking at the, at the racing surface, looking for a new line, looking for a smoother line, uh, looking for dry dirt, wet dirt, etc. So that study of the racetrack and that interaction with the racetrack as a changing medium, I think has really served me well. And I'm sure, you know, served Bill well, um, back in the day, because it's really a huge part of, I think, of being a, a good driver is reading the conditions all the time and being really aware and, and with it. And nothing teaches you that like motocross and how to be creative and look for sort of alternate lines and, and uh, places where there's grip, you know. Yeah, Mike's, you know, I've not, I have to admit, I've not watched a whole lot of motocross events over the years, but from what I've seen watching them, every lap's an entirely different race because once a rut's put in that spot, it might not work anymore. You got it. That's exactly right. 
And then, you know, when you factor in the wet and dry, et cetera. So I think that, you know, and, and there is also a lot going on. There's a lot of, um, it's, it's sort of each of your limbs has a job to do as far as running clutches and brake pedals, et cetera. So I think it takes a lot of coordination to ride a motorcycle. So although it's definitely different getting in a car and there's, you know, the transition, no matter what you come from, I feel like in a lot of ways the, the dirt bikes were a really solid foundation. I definitely don't feel like I was at a deficit. Um, I do wish I got to race carts like a lot of the young guys coming up through now, but you know, we were in the Northeast and there just really wasn't a cart scene uh, up here. So, so it was dirt bikes or nothing for us. Yeah. And that, so as far as your father's career was concerned, where, where what was the step he took when he, for racing, for going into racing cars? So he got, um, he bought this formula Ford. Um, and I, I don't remember, you know, so that was all like in 69 was last year, he raced motocross 70, 71, 72, I guess he raced the formula Ford and then, um, or maybe for a few years more, but, um, and then got into super V's, I guess, 74, 75, 76 era. Um, and like I said, it was super dominant in, in the, in the, at that time they called super V's the mini Indy cars and, um, you know, but I was, heck I was born in 76. So this was all kind of about my inception. Uh, my brother Nipper was definitely, um, is, is more switched on to this part of it because he was a, a little bit older than me and he definitely remembers some of the super V stuff. And I think some of even the Ford stuff, but my memory kind of starts with it. Um, in the, in the early eighties, probably 1980 or so. Um, and being it, I definitely remember going to India every year, uh, when he'd go try and qualify for the 500 because, you know, it's such a huge event and we would be out of school for so long that, um, my parents would put us in school, like at a, you know, local school there in Indianapolis. So that was kind of the, the beginning of my memory of racing was because, you know, it was sort of upending my daily routine and going to these different schools um, in Indy. But he, uh, you know, he did pretty well. My dad was a racer, racer and uh, Roger Penske, you know, took notice of what my dad was doing. And I think the, you know, one of the, the big parts of what my dad always did was he, he was like to be involved in every level of the car. So, you know, from building the engines, building the cars up through. So I grew up, you know, seeing the cars being fabbed up and built and the engines being built here at our shop in Vermont. And I just remember thinking that, you know, that part was so cool. And other, you know, I mean, I guess that was pretty common in that era that racers also built their own cars, but Penske noticed my dad was, you know, getting a lot done for not a lot of money. And um, when Mario Andretti went to run Formula One cars, it left the seat open um, in the A.B. Dick sponsored car. So my dad drove the A.B. Dick pacemaker for Roger Penske in 1980. I guess 80 or 81. <clears throat> yeah. But more impressively, I mean, he was, you know, driving. I mean, he managed to, I mean, with little really little background compared to his the drivers he was racing against, he managed to drive, finish second in the championship in '81. In '81, yeah, um, and that was you know that was actually I would say arguably the only year my dad ever had 
really good stuff. You know, every other year that he raced, he was always doing it in cars that he campaigned. And, and I think he built good cars, <clears throat> but I think it's, it was kind of like, you know, fast forward to my brother in my career. You, you at a certain point when you're racing at that level, um, you're obviously going to be uh, much better represented when you're in a, in a big team stuff, you know, with lots of resources and, um, but yeah, no, he was uh, he was definitely not afraid to step on the gas. Uh, was a, was a super calculated driver, and you know, very rarely did dumb stuff and didn't um, tear the cars up and didn't you know he wasn't hard on equipment. So I think from an yeah, owner standpoint, always, he was a heck of a driver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that that kind of ability always comes in handy when you are, you know, on the shoestring owner driver budget and can't afford to put the car in the wall. Yeah, exactly. I didn't get the memo on that deal, but. <laughs> so, so what did what when he retired from IndyCar in the mid '80s? Was that his retirement for racing, or did he move on to other ventures? No, he actually did some um, IMSA sports car racing at the time. Um, his engine shop was super active. Um, because he had built his own Cosworth stuff up at IndyCar and he got a pretty good reputation locally and was building a lot of, uh, engines for the, like the Bush North series and nine to one V eights. And then there was the V six era and that, uh, head engine builder at my dad's shop was a guy named Robbie Patterson, who was an incredibly smart and talented engine builder. And I think a huge part of the reason my dad always had success because over all the years, Robbie always built, um, engines for my dad. And they, you know, Robbie built good, reliable power and really understood a lot about power curves and cylinder heads and stuff. So, um, Robbie Patterson was pretty involved through my dad's shop with the development, um, of the Buick V6 race engines. So, uh, and I can't remember exactly the connection, whether the, the, engine connection came from my dad's driving or what, but he ended up driving um, one of the Buick powered cars for a dude out of Arkansas named Charles Morgan um, in the Camel Lights, IMSA Camel Lights series. And those cars were really cool. You know, they were prototype cars, V6 powered, but the V6s were making a ton of power um, in that area. So the cars were light and really, really fast. But, um, my dad actually really enjoyed driving those cars a lot. I think it was a cool era for IMSA stuff, but um, they didn't have really, they could, it was hard for them to put a race together. I think the teammates weren't matched up as well as they could have been. Mm. But yeah, it was, it was an incredible era of racing to be part of for sure with all the different classes and the huge amounts of manufacturer involvement. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of just sort of outside the box thinking still going on. That was before the rules had really tightened up to the level where they are now. It was long before BOP stuff, and you know everybody was kind of scrambling to make a better mousetrap. And there was some pretty wild stuff out there. And what in all this was it? Was it that captured your imagination? Helped made you decide you wanted to follow in his footsteps. You know, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't want to, when I was a little kid, I remember thinking that the auto racing was like super emotionally taxing. Uh, I just, you know, being a little kid and, and my dad was 
in my eyes, such a badass dude. And the only thing that in my, you know, best I could tell that would bring the man to his knees was, was this auto racing stuff that he did. So I didn't ever think that it made a whole lot of sense to spend your time doing something that could bring you down like that. Uh, and that was of course, until the day I got into one and uh, I drove a car hard and realized exactly what it was all about. Now I always, I love the motocross racing. I did a lot of it. Um, after my brother, you know, moved up to cars, I didn't really have a racing buddy. So I didn't, uh, go motocross racing anymore. And I, I kind of did my own thing for a few years and didn't really think, uh, didn't, didn't really think race cars were in my future, but, uh, my father, I think, saw something in me or knew that I had the talent from the motocross days or whatever reason, sent me to the Jim Russell School up in Canada for my, I guess, my 16th birthday. And about the second lap, I drove the Formula Ford around Mont Blas. I was pretty well hooked into it and realized that it was definitely worth all the effort. <laughs> it, it was more fun once you tried it. Yeah, I guess like a lot of things in life, it's a lot more fun when you get to experience it firsthand. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't, I actually, you know, I knew that I was definitely not the first one in line. Uh, my brother, Nipper, who, you know, raced a lot of the Slim Jim All Pro Series stuff and was a hello driver, um, was definitely in line and established in the sport um, before I was. And I didn't. You know, because I didn't have any interest in it at a young age, um, and, and Nipper had always been really clear that it was what he wanted to do. So I kind of hung back and um, not necessarily willingly, but definitely worked on uh, Nipper's cars a bunch and helped him get going in the hopes that I'd get the chance to drive his backup cars or whatever. And that was basically what, um, you know, what my career consisted of was, was getting starts and uh, nippers backup cars where I could, and that started um, up up north in the you know the, what they call the pro stock cars, which were super super cool cars. They were you know Port City and left hander cars with fiberglass bodies and um, 500 horsepower, roughly you know uh, steelhead V8 engines, but neat, good handling, really adjustable cars. <clears throat> so we started driving those, and then I got to drive his backup car, you know, pretty much a full year up here, and then. We moved down in Mooresville, North Carolina, because that was where, you know, racing was, was really going off at that point. And that was, I guess, 90, 94. Um, we moved to Mooresville, 95. And at that time, you know, there was just, it was the place to be. And there were so many teams starting up. And, and it really felt like a time with just a ton of opportunity uh, in, in the place to be, you know. So that was that was how we ended up in Mooresville racing. NASCAR stuff. And that was basically all because our dad knew that, you know, if you recall in the, in the nineties, that era was a really rough time for, um, any car racing with the cart and IRL split and the fragmented audience and the funny cars and the big political struggle. So, uh, our dad knew that definitely going, uh, stock car racing was going to afford us more opportunities, I think, and more sponsorship money. So that was why he steered us that way. Um, yeah, I think that was definitely, and that, and that time was definitely the only choice. Yeah, I, I can't say I remember, you know, the, the racing in that era, but I mean, at that time, the short track racing and the 
regional racing series that NASCAR had going were extremely strong, which made oh, it a man. very good prospect. <laughs> that was some good racing, dude. I'm telling you that the 90s, like 96, 97, when my brother ran the All-Pro Series and um, you had the Arco Remax Series going, Southwest Tour, out west, and the, the cars were fast and cool. Um, like there were really deep fields, you know, every series you went to, I mean, the all pro series, you had to scrap to get into the race and, you know, even now like Southwest tour stuff, the top 20, 25 cars were all really, really strong. Um, and they were getting full fields everywhere. I mean, it was cool. And they were paying good money, you know, it was 3,500, five grand to win pretty much everywhere. And, you know, you could get the occasional 10 grand to win. Um, you know, so it was, dude, the prize money was good. Competition was good. The cars were really cool. And I liked, I always liked going out and running Southwest tour stuff just because I always liked California. Um, I like, you know, I like the weather and I like going out there. So we'd go, you know, do that. But I actually, you know, the first Slim Jim Alpro race I ran was uh, my brother's backup car at Heartland Park, Topeka, um, on the road course. And I like the road courses a lot. I definitely, being uh, uh, inexperienced in those types of cars, was better off uh, or better matched up to, to the rest of the field at the road courses. You know, it wasn't as quite a big a disadvantage. So uh, that was my first. That was my first race in the in the Alpro series. Was at Heartland Park and totally loved the road course races. And then kind of kind of tried to poach either the good paying races or the road course races from there. Because I didn't, you know, always get a lot of opportunities, so I would try and. Right. Um, if, yeah, if your brother needed the car, your brother, got, if exactly. your brother needed the car, he got the car. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, uh, yeah, so that that was kind of the that was the the draw to the south, and and those and, and racing out of Mooresville was the place to be too, because you could get kind of anywhere in the country pretty easily. Yeah, also one of the advantages of running the All-Pro Tour was the fact that NASCAR had the regulations set up that you could run it in a whole bunch of other series. So you could, if you had the time and budget, you could swing to added race from another division. And a lot of guys did, you know. I mean, pretty much everybody did, if, especially if there was a standout purse somewhere. Um, and if you... Uh, you probably have heard about the Copper Classic that happened at Phoenix. That was a really cool race. Um, and that was just kind of, you know, in the off season, the only thing going. Um, and yeah, you'd get a lot of, you get a lot of cars, man. There's 50, 60 cars sometimes that show up to those races. It was pretty intense. And then of course you also got to be, since you were part of the team, you also got to be there when your brother, your brother Nipper won the race at Homestead. So eventually here you have, yeah, that was a really cool day. (laughs) Eventually here, your paths have to diverge though, because I can see, you know, just comparing yours, your races to his, that somewhere in here, he either moves out of NASCAR or something moves to something else. Cause he's not in the NASCAR races, but you're still showing up in them occasionally. Yeah. So he, um, so kind of what happened was, um, 1998, roughly, um, he had put a deal together with, was it 98? I guess it was 98. 
in 99 had put a deal together with, uh, with Ron Hornaday. Um, and he and Hornaday were buddies and Ron was, Ron is a super cool guy and Ron was helping Nipper out. And Ron and Lindy Hornaday put a, a craftsman truck together for Nipper and he went and campaigned and then he left kind of a, uh, all pro cars sitting there. So that was when, uh, I got my hands on them. And then I went into the first LA street race in 1998 with it. Um, we did all right. We've, you know, that was a huge field. I, I can't remember the majority of people that were there. I definitely remember like Mark Martin was there, of course, Hornaday and Harvick and all the Southwest tour guys and pretty stacked field, really T ribs, Boris said, um, and we, we did all right. We finished seventh, but we definitely, um, it was kind of a funky little racetrack actually. And, you know, in downtown LA and, the concrete slab streets were really, really, um, you know, really shook the traction loose. So we, we learned some stuff and knew what we had to go back with the next year. And then 99, I put together, I think it's the only race I ran in 99, uh, was the LA street race car. And of course won that race. And that was, but you know, that was a big payoff. That was the biggest tour Southwest tour payoff. And I think that still holds that distinction. Um, so that was a good, that was a good payday and a good shot in the arm for, um, you know, being able to walk into people's doors and ask them for money. So I, with sort of renewed confidence, went looking for some money and found enough sponsorship money from my buddy Glenn Aiken had at TrackScan and, and anybody, a couple of, a couple of other sources I could shake down and got enough stuff together to, um, go run my brother's old Winston West car as an ARCA car. And that was uh, about the time that my brother, oh, he met a girl and fell in love and started a family. So he kind of dropped out of the scene. Well, he didn't drop out of the scene, but he dropped out of the driver's seat and started working on my stuff. Excuse me, gentlemen. I have to take 20 seconds for a network break. ID. Stand by. Thank you for listening to this portion of our show. We are the freedom voice of the Internet. Tell your friends and visit us at iCast.network. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, please continue. I am enjoying this so much. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. All right. All right, you were just talking about you made the move to be able to run, use your brother's old West car as an ARCA car. Yeah, so uh, my brother was working as my crew chief at that point. We had that old... Uh, it was actually a Diamond Ridge car that my brother had bought, and he took it to a couple of races, ran Winston Rouse. I know he finished third at Fontana. Uh, I want to say Kenny Schrader was second, Harvick won, but something like that. It was one, two, three of those guys. And that car was, a, was actually a pretty fast car. It was an intermediate car, really slick body, not a lot of downforce to it. Uh, Monte Carlo body. Um, but it's a good, it's a well-built car. So I took the old Diamond Ridge car and I went and ran a couple of different uh, races with it. We put some put some fenders on it to get a little more, a little more arrow in the front. We took it to some intermediate tracks and I liked it. Um, I liked the faster stuff for sure. After after running all the the half mile stuff and the road course stuff, the intermediate mile and a half trioval era was hitting strong then. So we got to go to the new tracks, got to go to um, <coughs> Kentucky was brand new, Kansas was new, and so we were kind of hitting those new um, mile-and-a-half tracks. I 
And I, I probably, in hindsight, should have stuck around on some more Arca stuff. I actually really liked um, the 110 inch cars. And in that era, the, the Goodyear's and well, the Hoosiers both were were tricky, but I, I like the Hoosiers better than the Goodyear's for sure. They were a little more forgiving. And um, But uh, whatever, you can't go back in time. So we were running, we were running consistently, you know, towards the front of the top 10. In this couple of ARCA races that we did, we broke a couple of times. I think with other two, we finished top 10. And I t- my buddy, uh, Steve Hibbard, who was a longtime um, NASCAR crew chief, worked for a bunch of fast guys over the years. And Hibby was working on my stuff at the time. Hibby was like, oh, dude, you should get a bush car, get a bush car. I, it, you know, previous to driving the ARCA car, I never thought at all that I would. Um, drive a Bush Grand National car. It just seemed really f- so far out of what I was doing in my scope. But after uh, running, you know, down into turn one at Pocono at 200 miles an hour in the ARCA car, all of a sudden it seemed like a good idea. So we went and found a Bush car. Uh, I actually bought <clears throat> one of Adam Petty's cars. Adam Petty had just gotten killed, and Petty Motorsports was. Um, selling off a couple of his, the cars that they had left, so it was it had been like a uh, maybe like Sprint sponsored uh, one of the number forty five cars. <clears throat> so we bought the Adam Petty car and and got it ready and went and tried to do some bush racing. And how how did how would you rate that experiment? Because <laughs> <laughs> oh God, well I mean. You know, it didn't. It didn't go well, and certainly, I mean, certainly on paper, uh, it looks like it was a disaster. It wasn't as bad as it looks result-wise. Um, in that we were fast. Man, a couple times we were really fast, and um, again, this was a was a time when there were just so many cars uh, trying to get into the bush races, and um, part of that was because half the Cup field was doing it for the track time and the experience on the tires you know that again the good years in that era were i think really really bad <laughs> uh and hard to drive and the, the cars the way they were you know sort of trimmed out um and propped up with the springs to hold them up in the air were um were just i think hard to, pretty hard to drive so um i didn't have a lot of comfort zone out there at the fast end of the stick you know i was um i could get them going as fast as they needed to go to get into the show but i i was you know i was hanging on by a string basically um but a couple times we we were fast man i know like it um i remember one of the practices at kansas i think it was the second practice at kansas now maybe a lot of guys had switched to race trim but i don't know there were 58 to 57 cars on the sheet and we were top 25 and you know, I felt good. I, that was, you know, again, if you look at that sheet and, and who was around me, all of those guys went on to have long careers. So I guess I feel good in that. I was able to go as fast as the, quote, stars uh, a couple times. And But at the end, we were doing we were doing way more than what we should have been doing for the amount of money we were spending and the resources we had. I mean, in the end, it was me and, and a couple of my buddies and my brother um, putting a car together and going and taking it to the racetrack so it was cool actually that we did anything at all um, we definitely didn't 
set the world on fire, but uh, we I don't think we made a fool out of ourselves, and we, at moments, we're, we're pretty damn fast. Yeah, I mean, overall, you did, you know, it's the situation that you're basically a short-track budget trying to compete against what was then, in a lot of cases, close to factory programs. For sure, and we did, and we owned the cars, we built the cars, we owned our own tractor trailer, we built all our pit carts, I mean, we literally did everything top to bottom, and, um, you know, I guess, as as they say, everything happens for a reason, and, and I'm super glad that I went through that experience in life, because it taught me so many skills, and so many of the things that have carried me through other parts of my life, I, I learned in that era when, you know, we were doing it all. Um, but it was cool. I mean, driving the truck, driving the tractor trailer up and down the interstate with no CDL and crew guys riding in the back. And I mean, it was, uh, it was a pretty ragtag operation. <laughs> well, I can tell you had a good time. We had a great time. We had a great time. And, you know, like I said, I met some of the coolest people I've ever met. Uh, in that time and through it and some of the most thrilling driving definitely I've ever done was, was in the Bush Grey National Cars I mean like like I say super hard <clears throat> super thin edge um, and and you had to really just get the cars sealed off and smashed down into the racetrack at the right angle for the arrow to, to hold them and then once they would break loose they would you know the, the tires had so much oscillation in the sidewall that it was really hard to catch them so I, I mean I remember when somebody would catch them in that era, it was surprising. Um, when you'd see one break loose and somebody'd save it, it was like, wow, did you see that? Um, so, you know, uh, not the best conditions for, for a young driver, but I, I definitely always, always erred on the side of going for it too. And, you know, if I was, if I was 30, if on the timesheet, that wasn't, good enough for me and I was never happy to play it safe and just get it into the show I wanted you know I know I only had a couple of chances at it so I wanted to uh, wanted to do the, do it the best I could so <clears throat> I think I overdrove <laughs> a couple of times and definitely you know took some extra risks and that's what life's all about I guess when you were done with when you were done with the, the Bush series and ARCA program what what did you, what did you move on to after that? Because you know at that point the the NASCAR results sheets you know. It... Well, I um, that actually that first year after I drove the Bush car, um, I went and and bought a motocross bike and went and qualified for the Loretta Lynn Nationals and spent a year motocrossing again because I really wanted to get back to a type of racing that had more to do with. Um, I guess talent and desire and heart and I just wanted less variables um, I knew that I was a good racer I just didn't feel like I was getting that fair shake of it uh, in the cars that I was building and bringing to the racetrack and so I wanted to, wanted to kind of get a level playing field again so I did some motocross racing but you know um, those, those things will hurt you so I got hurt a bunch of times after that and then I went uh and got kind of a an air quotes real job and that was as a driving instructor i had worked a little bit for the richard petty experience given rides at different racetracks when i you know in the late 90s and through those connections um got a job doing some instructing for different marketing programs and 
that's actually, you know, been uh, my last 15 years of my life has been doing automotive programs and, and representing various brands. Most recently Mercedes Benz AMG, um, and as chief instructor, they're driving school and, and have been actually all around the world now working for Mercedes, um, and driving cool cars on, on fun racetracks. That, that sounds like a nice, a nice job. You get to drive, drive cars fast at a, on a race and not be competing. Yeah, that's it. You know, and, and it's weird. And the, and the, and the check shows up. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what I was doing, uh, trying to be a race car driver, but. Um, in the end, it worked out and, and got me into a into a really neat industry. Since so, so you do work in that, doing that, have you had any cars that you've gotten to drive over the years that you you particularly wish you had one in your driveway? We'll say. Oh, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm I I really like um, I really like driving anything, and I'm not. I can't say that I'm not enchanted by the fancy sports cars because they're cool. Um, but in the end I have, I have as much fun, um, driving some old junker, you know, with 110 horsepower, I guess, as long as the dude I'm racing with has a similar setup, I'll race anything and drive anything. Um, and I definitely can't afford any of the high end Mercedes AMG stuff. So it's fun to drive, fun to look at, but, um, I couldn't. I couldn't afford the tires. So it's all right. I'll, I'll let somebody else own them, and I'll just drive them. Yeah, I guess it's it's nice though to be able to just go you know, jump around, and I guess as you said, do brand work. So do you like do the driving test, like the driving tests, like you know, like you see for like magazines and stuff, or more? Sure, I've gotten. Yeah, I've gotten to do some of that. I've gotten to do some YouTube videos and. Um, photo shoots, video shoots. I actually got to do kind of a lifelong dream. Um, a few years ago, did a video shoot in downtown Los Angeles for Mercedes, and they shut down the streets right in the middle of the day and, and had the police block off the streets while I drifted around Los Angeles in a Mercedes AMG E63 uh, right in the middle of the day. It was super, super cool. Between takes, we'd have to do donuts to warm the tires up, and I'm sitting there with the L.A. police blocking the road so I can blow blow donuts to warm my tires up in the middle of the street. So that was a pretty fun day. Yeah, that, that sounds like it, it was an interesting time to spend. And... <laughs> of course, right. now so Jimmy, Johnson's, Jimmy Johnson's won seven championships, but I did get to do a commercial, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah. You you got paid to do donuts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Have you gotten as a result to you know? I guess since you have said you've gotten to even do international travel for, have you gotten to see some of the famous racetracks of the world? Yeah, I have. I got to go um, work at the Nurburgring Nordschleife in Germany last year. So. I feel like that's the mother of all racetracks, you know, that everybody here, or I always heard about the Nordschleife. I was always kind of annoyed by it because I had never been. And I was like, well, I can't be that cool, you know? And, uh, but it is crazy. It's like, it makes all the other racetracks in the world seem like mini golf courses because it's so fast and you have to just commit to speed over all these blind crests, you know, 
the end of the day, it's it's just a racetrack, but it's just a 13 mile racetrack. It's really fast and really narrow. So um, that was a that was a thrill. And uh, I got to drive in um, India a year or two ago at the Bood International Circuit, which was a racetrack they built for Formula One, and they actually raced Formula One in India for a couple of years. And then the whole uh, racetrack and everything went yeah financially the water yeah because it was like a ponzi scheme deal (laughs) so i got but i got to drive at that track last year so it's just like perfectly new but abandoned and overgrown formula one track pretty wild yeah that's a shame that i happened to that track but i I don't know if it looked the same then but i was watching the races there oof there was not i don't know it just it kind of just looked like a a racetrack slapped where it was yeah well they built they built it first trying to bring in uh bring in a you know they were building a city kind of around it and they built the racetrack first and ran out of money <laughs> kind of yeah. interesting deal yeah it, it was a good idea on paper that unfortunately didn't go to plan that's exactly right <sighs> well we managed to get a good 45 minutes in there no problem <laughs> <laughs> well appreciate you having me on and I'm, I'm sorry i just rambled away the whole time one of my strengths i guess is talking about talking about the stuff we did with race cars um thanks for letting me do it here yeah it's always fun to get to hear different people's stories because everybody has a different story and a different perspective of how things went well like i say it didn't work out exactly the way i thought it was going to uh when i was looking at it from the other side but uh, I've really met a lot of amazing people through motorsports and some of the best friends and relationships in my life have come from it one way or the other. So uh, I can't say I'd change a thing and, um, it's been a hell of a ride. I'm looking forward to doing some more. We're still racing some endurance sports car stuff here and there, me and my brother. So it's not over, but we're just doing it in a, in a really relaxed setting now. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe one, maybe one of these night weeks I'll have to, get your brother on here and get his side of the story you definitely should do that he'd love to tell you and he can definitely flesh out the early parts a lot better he he remembers a lot more of it and um was paying a lot more attention at the beginning i'm a terrible race fan actually i just like to drive (laughs) okay well thank you for taking the time to come on here with us thank you so much for having me on sir i really appreciate it AJ, this is Tim Leaving. I'm the guy that sits in Denver, Colorado and pushes all the buttons. I want to tell you how much <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. And I know you are because I've been listening to you. But I want to thank you for coming on the show with Alex. You gave a very entertaining presentation of your life in a short period of time. And I hope Alex will not only bring your brother back or bring your brother on, but bring you back for some more stories because I want to hear more about you. You got a 704 area code, so you must be somewhere in North Carolina, right? Yeah, well, I was, yeah, 15 years I was in Mooresville, uh, just north of Charlotte there. But I, I left, but I took my area code number with me because I, I still I still miss it. Oh, okay. Well, I hope you come back sometime. It has been a real pleasure for me. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, sir. Have a good evening. You too. Good night, AJ, and thank you for the time. Alex, I just had to get in there and say a word because I thoroughly enjoyed 
Dustin Deja, he is a true racer, and he really got my juices pumped up listening to him. So thank you for finding him and bringing him on the show tonight. Yeah, he he was able to really bring those stories to life and really you know tell it the way it was. Yeah, he really did. Well, as always, thank you for all the work you do. I appreciate it. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. You too. Good night, Tim. Good night, Alex. All right, folks, we've come to the end of another Thursday night Ghost Tracks race talk. I want to thank all you listeners around the world for supporting our shows here on the iCast Media. Remember we talked about the iCast.network is the site you need to go to to check out really what we're all about. Also, if you email the iCast.network, They'll give you a two-week free trial on this VPN, your virtual private network, and you would be surprised as to just what a difference it's made since I got mine. I think it was Monday when when I got it on my computer. It's just made a whole lot of difference, I think, and I don't know why because I'm not technical enough to understand it, but it's just like everything moves faster. I which would seem to me that it's blocking all these little people that are trying to get in on it. So anyway, check that out, ICAST.network. All right, I would also want to express our deepest thanks and appreciation to all those serving in any branch of the U.S. military and also to their families who sacrificed so much to keep us free. God bless you, each and every one. Thank you also to all law enforcement officers and first responders who so often place their lives in jeopardy for our protection and safety. Remember, wherever you are on this planet, if you have a religion, pray to your God that we can get rid of this coronavirus, that we can get it healed and taken from the face of this earth. We didn't need it to do all that it's caused, all the damage it has already caused. God has a plan. I don't know what it is, but let's pray that we can get rid of this coronavirus. Also remember, all of our shows are archived within minutes of their conclusion and can be accessed at any time. Please spread the word among your racing friends about what we're doing here. Also, you can email me at all lowercase timleaming at ghosttracks.racing that's Tim Leeming at GhostTracks.Racing. You can follow me on Twitter at TimLeeming83, and you can find me on Instagram as Tim Leeming. Remember to join us here on Thursday nights in honoring the past, embracing the present, and dreaming for the future. Love you all. God bless us, everyone. The proceeding was a production of ICAST Media Network.